so everyone's here just uh getting started on Babylon 5 season one episode two soul hunter now uh, we just did a watch party and i just wanted to get some initial reactions to the episode just like overall impressions i didn't get the head start like i did for the pilot movie and episode one everything happened and ended in the same episode i don't know how unless i missed it how the soul snatcher got uh, beat up in the way that he did he got beat up in a very 90s procedural television way <laughs> what does that mean uh, they just did it quickly enough there wasn't that much of a struggle it was just Sinclair is going to overpower this guy. And that's how we ended. The end. <laughs> right, the end. Yeah, I thought the whole thing was anticlimactic while being dramatic at the same time. Very interesting. I felt confused, but not... I felt emotionally confused, put it that way. The religious war. Like, my belief is the truth. No, my belief is the truth. <laughs> was just like, mm. oh, here we go. I found it really interesting. Not only the uh, my truth is the right truth, but I kind of got this. Maybe it's just my author mind going, but <laughs> writing the whole like prehistory of them because the their genetics and their understanding of the soul is similar, even though their beliefs about it is different. Like scientifically, they know that this can happen. We can do this. The the whole transferring of souls or keeping souls is a choice for them. And then throwing in that whole gray part and mm -hmm. like they're tricking you. I, I kind of get like a Romulan Vulcan type relationship between them, whereas the soul collectors were probably an offshoot of them trying to keep the gray from having as much power as they do by collecting the souls that are going to be reincarnated into the gray once again. This isn't my favorite episode, even though I like the actor who portrayed the soul hunter. Babylon mm -hmm. 5 had some terrific guest actors, but the metaphysical debates about the nature of the soul and the existence of a soul and what happens to the soul if we have one, if, if it dies with us or not, that kind of gives a blueprint for the type of conversations that Babylon 5 conducts throughout its run. So I, I think it's very interesting in that aspect. Yeah, J. Michael Straczynski loves to have that conversation in his in his media, it doesn't matter what the show is, what it's about. He's going to challenge people's perspectives on spirituality and religion. And then he's going to, he doesn't really take a position. He offers kind of like maybe everything is true type of, type of, not even answer, just approach. Because the Mimbari, they have a particular perspective on souls. The, the soul hunters have a different perspective, but we'll, as we get into this episode, you'll see a few of the other characters also offer perspectives. So the episode opens up, um, Ivanova Sinclair, they're both meeting their new arrival. We finally get to welcome to Babylon five, the replacement doctor, Dr. Stephen Franklin. They, they, all right. So this scene is written very well because you get to meet this new doctor. So if you watch the pilot, you're like, well, what happened to Dr. Kyle? Well, they met in like a couple of sentences. Oh, well, I, I met with Dr. Kyle in the transfer in IO. So Dr. Kyle's being transferred out. Dr. Franklin's being transferred in. 
Um, when when you all met Dr. Franklin, what were your impressions? It's tough to remember that far back, but Richard Biggs had a charisma. And I was just curious because we don't know at this point in time that much about him. So for me personally, I really didn't formulate <clears throat> an opinion yet about him. But I was mm -hmm. curious as to learn more about this new character. I felt like he was more fluent. Like, less, I don't know. He felt like he he fit into, like, the whole 90s stereotype of the, the gang. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. we came in like, oh, look, my old friend I just hired. Yeah, he, he kind of settled right in. Which... Which I think going from episode one to episode two, you started you started to see, you know, the cast members, the new cast members who are coming in to replace folks from the pilot. There is a, a stark difference in the way that they present themselves, you know, their the way that they act physically with their faces and then with their voice. You know, there there's no one here that's robotic. There is very much, uh, yeah, a, a lot of fluidity. Richard Biggs, I believe he was also a soap opera actor. And so he's had plenty of reps as far as like being able to portray these type of characters. And I just thought it was, you know, it was, it was a really interesting choice, but, you know, after seeing the series so often, it's like, man, I, you know, this was a great introduction to this character. I would agree. And so, maybe just, oh, if I can interject yeah, something too, when this premiered, it was in the nineties. And it was a breath of fresh air to see a black character who is a major part of the cast introduced, just like in the pilot. And he does have a pivotal role to play throughout the rest of the series. And that's something that uh, you really did not see a lot of back then at that time. Right. You still don't now, but especially back then. Yeah, at the time that they started, they didn't have, we didn't have a Cisco yet, I don't believe. Or I have, you know, maybe I'm mixing up my timelines, but I don't think we quite had a Cisco yet. But um, black characters were more of supporting characters or background characters. Yeah, if that. So what happens is very quickly, Sinclair is called away because there's an unidentified ship approaching from hyperspace and it's out of control as it exits hyperspace and it's, you know, floating towards the station. Sinclair quickly grabs a starfighter and I thought this scene was kind of interesting but you know because they really wanted to show off how Sinclair is this great pilot um, just like episode one so he's this great pilot he goes and he gets a couple of tries and he finally hooks the ship and then they go ahead and dock it now when they're in the dock docking bay they immediately call for the medical team there is a survivor on the ship and he needs medical attention they also say that the ship is banged up. Like, they don't know if he was running from something or what. Is he being attacked by raiders? Uh, is there something else going on out there? They don't know. This is this is one of those little hints as far, like, foreshadowing as far as, like, what's going on in this episode. So down in Med Bay, Dr. Garibaldi, I mean, not Dr. Garibaldi, Garibaldi, our friend, our friend Garibaldi, he's being annoying to Dr. Franklin immediately. I, that Did you, did you all notice that, that? He just I did. It, it kind of plants the seed in the type of relationship they're going to have, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's immediately annoying Dr. Franklin. And Franklin, again, shows off quick, you know, his expertise in xenobiology. Uh, this is kind of like a nice little techno babble moment. 
we get a few of those throughout this series. Sinclair, he's talking to Garibaldi about the possibility of entering this alien ship. You know, they're just establishing like, oh, you know, the atmosphere in there is, is different. We don't know uh, if we can even go in there. We can't blow our way in. We might destroy the whole station. So not very far away. Delenn is there. As soon as she looks at the survivor, she freaks out. And she grabs Garibaldi's PPG, aims a gun at him, and she's about to shoot this guy. And she's, she calls him shock thought. I, I don't know what the word is, but uh, she translates like, yeah, you have, that's a soul hunter. Later on, she apologizes. She's like, you know what? I'm sorry for my behavior. And I just want to take a moment and talk about her behavior at this point. Because how many diplomats do you know quickly disarms a guard and brandishes a weapon? Throughout this episode, starts to show some interesting characteristics. Um, I think her behavior is shifty. Even before she um, lashed out, um, I like the fear of seeing the alien. Like when she presents herself, like is I've seen so many stuff and things. Like let me help you. Even though they've had you know conflict before. It's not like there's some peaceful people. And so I wasn't really shocked when she transitioned. It's more like a, what is something that's like pretending to be gentle and then, you know, snapping on its prey or something. Like she's just lying and wait to get close enough to do some damage. Not that she's, know really on this peace thing that the title of the show says that they are and i mean i could be Mm -hmm. wrong but we'll see and before we get too far off of it i just wanted to mention how cool i thought it was when he had to go out and try to stop the aircraft from crashing into babylon the way that the ship unfolded even the way that the weapons unfold and become exposed and available. I just thought that that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. The whole uh, launch sequence. Yeah. They, they did a really good job, even with the limited technology at the time, they did a good job at um, portraying that. And again, it gets better throughout the series. So, so Lynn is explaining, she's like, this is what a soul hunter is. They can sense death. They steal your soul at the moment of death and they collect the souls and they collect the souls that they consider of immense value. And this is where we start to like get some hint into the Minbari perspective of the soul and spirituality. Throughout the episode, Lynn is expressing like, you know, souls are valuable and we can't let them be captured. They have to be set free. I I don't know how they know that. Um, My thoughts were like, okay, here we go having a conversation about soul. What is a soul? And then I was like, wait, aliens have souls? And I was like, eh, we'll just roll with it. Um, And then seeing the souls, like the guy called the souls his children and then how they surrounded him. I'm like, what's happening? They want to like zap him or... I don't know. And it was, do they have to be set free? Was the guy wrong? Uh, they, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're good. Cause you're, a, you're asking the questions the episode is setting up for you to ask. 
So I'm being manipulated um, by Babylon 5. All right. Yeah. So really quickly, we, we have this really cool sequence where we're going back and forth between Down Below and the Med Lab. This, again, is an opportunity for us to examine the class um, divisions in Babylon 5. So on this mass state-of-the-art, what does they say, five-mile five mile space station, they have poor people. Like, not just poor people, but like, like street people who are running scams on people while they're in down below. And there's a guy, he's a scammer. He's what's it what's what's the name of the game? It's it's like three cups, but I think I've heard it called three shells or whatever. And they're they're uh they're showing him scamming some folks and, and winning money. They they click back to Med Lab and the Soul Hunter is up. He is standing up and he's he's talking. Dr. Franklin notices and he requests a translation team, but the Soul Hunter's like, no, I I've been to your world before. Now, th- at this point, this is where I'm starting to think like, oh, okay. So, so this episode is more of like a, it's kind of like a horror movie. It comes across more of uh, the horror genre than than almost anything else. Did you feel this? Did you feel similar to that, Rod? I did. As a matter of fact, I was thinking the Soul Hunter is essentially the Membari version of the Boogeyman. Mm. And okay. it's interesting because we have all these metaphysical debates going on, but as Trzinski does this in a lot of his writing, but this being can sense death. And it's interesting and they do... that no one really goes, how is he doing that? They just kind of mm-hmm. go, oh, he actually can sense death. And they, so they kind of accept it, but that's a would be considered a supernatural ability. Yes. And yeah, everyone just accepts it. Now, the humans, they tend to be a little bit more skeptical, but they um they do notice how all of the aliens on the space station have just locked themselves down or they left. They left the ship. And the the only people who don't seem to be very concerned are the humans cuz the humans it appears that most humans on Babylon 5 secularists in some way um later in the series they do approach several spiritual practices from earth but right now we're looking at i i would i would say that most of the the cast are agnostic but they're we're at the point where they're we're flashing back and forth the scammer scammed the wrong person and he just takes the money and run we're flashing back and forth to the scammer running and the soul hunter interacting with Franklin and he's saying some pretty, I would say some weird stuff. Uh, the actor for the soul hunter, I think he did a great job. First of all, he's, he has a very striking look, very wide jaw, thick face. Yes. Um, a very deep voice. He he comes very, he's very godlike or devilish, but yeah, he has a very command commanding, uh, presence yeah i agree with that description commanding is a good adjective yeah and so uh, at the end of the chase the scammer is stabbed and back at med lab the soul hunter he kind of deflates he's like oh the moment has passed and then he just goes he he goes he goes and he's back down now no 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 i'm sorry i skipped a part basically they take the scammer back to med lab they're operating on him 
and uh, the soul hunter is you know he's he's still talking at that point and franklin's like man turn this off but uh the scammer dies and then franklin is asking him like how did you know you know how did you know what was going to happen and he kind of gives a little bit of an explanation about they know about the moment the moment is past and i i I guess that go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say the people the scamming part with the game i don't know why i thought this was like back on earth and uh, something from the past it took me far too long it took me until the guy was in med bay <laughs> to realize oh that was happening on babylon 5 okay the end yeah now now i get i get what you're saying and it, it is changing because of the production value but i think that also points out like the differences between people's living conditions on Babylon five, the people down below, they live in squalor. It looks like they're in a, it reminds me of the parts of the future in Terminator where they show people, um, this, you know, the, the human resistance there, they're hanging out in abandoned buildings and everything is, you know, ratty and dirty. And that's what it looks like in down below. Um, we, you know, we will be looking more into what goes on in down below, why it exists. But at the moment, we're just, as the audience, we are just accepting like, okay, yeah, there's poor people in space. I, I did want to touch on this. So Franklin, his interactions with the soul hunter, he kind of dismisses the whole thing about collecting souls. He's like, you know, with sufficient enough technology, you could probably make you know, a copy of someone's brain patterns and just clone their brain. But he's a, he, he says, I don't think you can capture a soul. He's like, this whole thing is ridiculous, you know. And of course, Sinclair wants to get some straight answers. Uh, we walk into another very 90s scene of the soul hunter chanting while the other characters are talking. And then uh, Sinclair accuses the soul hunter of being a thief and that's that's what snaps him out of it he's very offended to be calling a thief to be called a thief and so he's a, he says to Sinclair he's like no I'm not a thief I'm not you know we don't steal souls we preserve them and uh, this is when we learn that the soul hunter has an adversarial relationship with the Minbari he's very he's dismissive of the Minbari being present on the station. Um, or, you know, some of their antagonisms do come through in that part. And as you all pointed out, yes, this is where you start to see, like, the parallel or the the, the contrast between the Minbari's beliefs and the Soul Hunter's beliefs. But we also have thrown in there the human's belief. And, and this is kind of, this is something that's interesting. So we're watching a sci-fi space opera that does mix in a lot of spirituality. And we're, at, we're, we're asking these questions. Do we have souls? What happens when people die? Is there an afterlife? Are any of the earth religions uh, true? What do the alien religions look like? We're going to be continually exploring those throughout throughout the series. But I think this is an opportunity to get some, just kind of talk to Mel, because she's dealing with some with similar questions in her, in her story. So how do you, how do you feel about 
the way that the episode is approaching these questions? Um, it's very looking at it from a science a science perspective because a lot of people want to, uh, especially agnostics or atheists, scientifically I can't prove that there's a God. Scientifically I can't prove this, that there's a soul. But to some extent, you have to believe that there's something that you don't know yet, especially in an environment like Babylon 5, where you know that you're dealing with people who know a lot more than you. Um, you're looking at the Lombari, who you already understand are more technically advanced than you. Um, so it, it, is yeah. there a possibility that these people know more? And are you going to let them teach you or are you just going to cut off at humans don't know this so it must not be true because we've done that before and we've learned more before we didn't know where electricity or fire came from before but we learned it it may have been mystical to humans a long time ago so maybe in a thousand years the the human soul may not be a mystery to us anymore we still haven't even patterned the whole human brain yet it's a good point and i like the way that you mentioned too damian earlier that straczynski just kind of puts all of these questions out there and kind of says, well, you know, you make up your own mind. He really is uh, very good at not favoring one position over the other, because like Mel said, you know, we don't understand a lot, but maybe given time we will. Uh, but then again, that doesn't negate somebody's spiritual beliefs. So I always appreciate that personally in his storytelling, that he kind of leaves it up in the air. Like Franklin is a skeptic. He is a man of science. And so if he can't quantify it in some way, then he's very skeptical of whatever it is. But mm -hmm. some people like, well, you can't prove the existence of God. You can't, you know, there's, there's no tangible way. I don't know if it was Babylon 5, I believe it was, but that was one episode of the show I was watching, and the person said they were having a debate with a skeptic and atheist, and they said, well, you know, there's a lot we don't understand, but think about love. He pretty much mm. can agree that love exists. Okay, but tell me, what does love smell like? What color is it? How much does it weigh? But it does exist. Mm. That's an interesting response. Yeah. yeah. And I saw a video earlier to this week or yesterday. It was talking about Strzyzewski. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, the creator. Um, and his background mm -hmm. coming from Poland and Russia during World War II and coming, coming to America and wanting to adapt and his parents not. Um, I think being a, a, growing up with that being your background, you would question why people go against other people's religions because you just <laughs> got out of world war ii pretty much <laughs> hurt people because they believe something else like it, it's probably something that weighed on him uh, and it shows in the way that he portrays the question of religion or what you choose to believe yeah and and again we we get to ask these questions in several interesting situations throughout the series i thought what was interesting was during the quote-unquote burial of the scammer, they mentioned a couple of things. They say the, that his family could not afford to have the body transferred home, so they just shot it out into space. Um, now it was in a it was in a casket. And did you uh, notice that Ivanova said some words of benediction over the body? Yes. The space and, um, just is beyond. No matter how many episodes or shows that I watch. That they just willy-nilly throw stuff out into space like that's cool. 
And and then you see other movies like an Armageddon where something collected a bunch of ice and it's on a collision course for Earth and is gonna like end all of humanity. Like <laughs> really a good oh. idea. Are we gonna keep doing that? But you know what? In that scene when they shot the body off into space, did you notice that they mentioned why they did that? The scammer's family could not afford to transfer the body from the station back to Earth. And that's Straczynski letting us know capitalism is alive and well in the 23rd century. And like Damien pointed out with Down Below, there are poor people in this universe. This also Mm -hmm. separates it from Star Trek, where it's a utopia and they have kind of evolved past the need for currency. No, you have to have money in the universe of Babylon 5. And if you don't, then that does affect the quality of your life. I thought the trajectory of the pod was toward that a star. It does. It does kind of make you feel like he's going to go towards the star. He's heading towards the light. So like, it's not exactly littering because it's going to be disintegrated. It's just sent to the, what do you call the, the fire? Where you burn trash? The incinerator? Yeah. Oh, I already said that word. Well, there you go. Or Sunday, you don't have to feel so bad about the littering because the gravity of a close enough and powerful enough celestial body will bring it towards it. And if it has an atmosphere, he would burn up an atmosphere. So problem solved. Oh my gosh. Well, the other thing that I wanted to touch on when we were talking about um, being able to quantify a social construct or not, I I don't know that that's really the same as um, proof of a thing um, it gets so murky because me knowing something and not having a language or you know even because language is a social construct because we haven't agreed a, between one another that this um, thing exists you know doesn't negate it from existing And it is silly, you know, to be fighting over belief systems because you don't know and maybe just somebody hasn't spoke it to you in a way where, you know, it makes sense to you. And so, like, where is the benefit in, you know, fighting and the loss of life and all of that? You're making a good point. And I think Zinsky is making a similar point because you have the the two opposing viewpoints of the soul hunters and the minbari they both believe that they are correct but they exclude each other's perspectives and i think this is where most of our conflict comes from we have people who believe that they are the soul um the soul holders of truth and then everything that contradicts or opposes it has to be punished or you know severely attacked and and then also even if we do agree, some people take that take the quote unquote truth to an extremist level and they will exercise their belief in violent ways and then justify themselves later, right? Um, religious persecution has always happened in human history and it's usually by people who have different religious beliefs. And they believe that they are justified because their beliefs are are the truth and um, 
for for everyone else you're either going to admit that our stuff our version of this is true and convert or we have to punish you because it's for your own good at least that's the way the west does it i know you know there there are several expressions of this throughout our history but right now we're we're being pretty violent here in the west when it comes to religious persecution and expression and I noticed no, it's been throughout human history. Yeah. Well, I noticed something interesting about uh, the Lombardi, uh, what's her name, Delenn, understanding how to open up the souls, like them giving it to her. So on a scientific level, they both understand souls kind of the same way. Like she gets how they're in there and how they can be released. So they're basically fighting over the idea, not what they understand of it, like you guys said. And that, for some reason, reminded me of, like, no matter what evidence you give someone, if they're set on believing what they believe, whether it's, like, a trauma response or just their training or whatever, they're going to believe that. And it just made me think about Flat Earthers. Okay. Well, we're going to start attracting some interesting people to this now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we get a little bit of some perspective from Ivanova. So, while she does her benediction... Um, Franklin, he goes on, he's like, you know, it's, it's not fair. You, you, the average human life is about a hundred years. You have to think about this in, uh, you know, the twenties, what the 23rd century, uh, the average human life is about a hundred years. And we're just figuring it out, figure it out once it's all over. And Ivanova is like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if we had 200 <laughs> years, we would make the same mistakes and I'm, I'm like, wow. Classic Ivana. <laughs> she just dumped all over that whole scene. It was great, though. And then her, her, he, uh, Dr. Franklin's like, oh, I see that you're a pessimist. She goes, I'm Russian. I think Ivana <laughs> is a proxy for Straczynski. I really do. Yeah. I think if you want his viewpoint, <laughs> if you look at her character, I may be wrong, but I think that you're getting his from her. Yeah. Yeah. And especially since so, Russian. Yeah. You know, they, they give Ivanova those moments in the first episode, but throughout the season, she starts to grow as a character. Like uh, like I said, that weird cadence that she affects, it kind of goes away, but a lot of her, I, I guess you would say her Russian-ness will come out a little bit, but, you know, to be continued. Um, we learned a little bit more about the Minbari beliefs also. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, the Soul Hunter does gives us a little bit of a look into the uh, what started the Earthmanbari War. And I thought this was really interesting. Now, y'all have to understand, these are little breadcrumbs that Straczynski is sprinkling throughout the whole series. And he mentions that the death of one of the Minbari leaders, Dukat, died. Like, okay, the death of one of the Minbari leaders, Dukat, caused the... Earth Minbari War. Yes, Delin was there. And Delin stopped the soul hunters from collecting his soul. So there, there seems to be a lot that, you know, transpired at the beginning of this war, what caused the war. We learned a little bit more about the Minbari, Minbari beliefs as far as like they, they want to protect the souls. Uh, they don't want the, soul, the Minbari souls to be in the hands of the soul hunters because. They believe that the the Minbari souls have to be reborn. And whenever the soul hunters collect the souls, they are preventing them from being reborn into the next generation. And uh, in their back and forth, 
the soul hunter, he's like, oh, this is mere fairy tales and fiction. You know, he's dismissive of the Minbari's beliefs. And he, he basically is saying like, look, when, when a soul, when a person dies, the soul is lost. And when they're lost, they're gone. He does, he's, he's basically saying there's no afterlife. There's no rebirth. We have to preserve these souls and we have to learn from them. And that's, Ooh. that's when he, he's said he said he recognizes the Lynn at the death of Ducat. I heard that, but I wasn't sure if he was telling the truth or not, because he says that like to take a jab at her, but then he, uh, he also stated that taking the souls would prevent, you know, like the conflict that happened, like maybe them not allowing the souls to just pass on over is um, giving them some kind of power or control that things aren't in balance. But I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. No, you picked up on something important and I'm sorry. It's it's a spoiler. So I'm gonna leave it alone. Don't spoil (laughs) it. You picked up on something. I'm not going to, but in that conversation, this is, um, Delenn is outed as a member of the Grey Council and the Soul Hunter is demanding like, okay, I know you, you're a Satai. You were there when Dukat died. What is a member of the Grey Council doing playing diplomat on this space station? And she just takes off. She's like, oh shit, all right. (laughs) And then she's just gone. And I thought this scene was shot a little weird. Because she's as she's walking away, she walks past a guard. The soul hunter's laying on the ground, and you hear a crash, a loud crash. And you you see that he collapsed. The guard, he turns around, he runs, he unlocks the door, puts on a mask, he goes check on the guy. He's like, "Hey, are you okay?" And he gets basically one punched into unconsciousness. <laughs> Look, the guards and- on Babylon Five. <laughs> Look. Because now that scene when the soul hunter is talking to the <laughs> the little praying mantis looking alien, trying to yeah. find a back way. And I don't know if you all noticed, but the guard has his back to the door as he exits. I'm like, dude, yeah. don't you think you might need to be facing the door that you're trying to go? I just kind of caught that. It was kind of funny too. Yeah. Yeah. These guards, man, they were some, they were made out of paper in this episode. He grabs the PBG and he just takes off. This dude, he's walking around the station free. And basically, he's uh, he's scouring the alien sector, finds the insectoid, and he, which is, all right, so how did he know exactly who to go to? No, that people are exiting the spaceship like 50 going north. They not stupid. Like, they might be atheists or whatever we were calling them, but they like, something's going on, so uh, I want to keep my soul intact, but I do have shift tonight. I'm not rich. Just, you know. So you saying they they didn't see nothing. I'm not paid enough. They didn't see nothing. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Ain't none of my business. Right. I was Go ahead. from going in. And that's why his back was to it. Yeah, because all of the aliens were scared of him. And so just like Delenn decided that she was going to pull a PPG off of a guard, which, you know, I guess you wouldn't expect a Minbari to disarm a human like that right o- you know, right out in, in public. But Garibaldi did have the the drop on, like, she had the drop on Garibaldi. Yeah. That's and another then, thing, because, well, we talked earlier about how she was right there when the ship came in 
Like I heard a comment. Like she she should have recognized that ship. Unless he just had some another ship from somewhere else because he was rogue. But if if she's from that familiar with the we and especially she's not gonna say it because of her past and she's obviously being sneaky there. But um, yep. Yeah, something makes me feel like she saw that ship came in and said, I got to be there. I'm glad you pointed that out because I'm like, why is she here? <laughs> why is she here? I mean, yes, she's a diplomat, but does she need to know about every single ship that comes in? Especially if there's a distressed ship. I don't know. Maybe maybe that that just shows that she's a good diplomat, that she's a good ambassador. But at the same time, she really had her nose in there. Um, she's not a diplomat. She's some kind of spy. She a creep. Yes. Well, well, you'll you'll see. So back at the command center, back at the command center, they get an alert that hey, there's a, another ship coming through the gate. It's an unscheduled arrival from hyperspace once again, and this ship contains, lo and behold, a second soul hunter. And the soul hunter is like, hey, I need to speak to you immediately. One of my brothers is on this station. Someone is going to die, and they're you know. Uh, they do the dramatic, uh, the dramatic Aww. cut to, yeah, cut to commercial, <laughs> and it's like, oh, I thought somebody was gonna die, but now there's two of them. This must mean somebody really important is gonna die. Now, if you were just watching the show, not knowing what's going on, you're thinking like maybe one of the char- one of the main characters is gonna die, right? So, and I and I like how the 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 breadcrumbs were dropped to make you feel like that's gonna happen. It's really cool. Oh, the um, the second soul hunter, he says that the first soul hunter is pretty much going to kill somebody so he can preserve their soul. And then we cut to, lo and behold, the first soul hunter is in Delin's quarters. He's he's right there saying like, hey, we have to, I have to save you at any cost. And it turns out that the reason that the first soul hunter's ship was damaged in the first place is because he is kind of a, he went rogue from his order and they were trying to stop him. So they, they fired on him. And disabled his ship, hoping that they would stop him. But he made, he still made it to Babylon 5. And his goal is to kill Delin and, quote unquote, preserve her soul. Sinclair and her staff, they get a notice. That the, say that again? Her soul needs to be preserved. Well, we'll, like I said, we'll see, we'll see more of Delin later in the series. So, but, um, so Sinclair and staff, they get a notice that one of the guards was stunned in the green sector which is the ambassadorial wing. So then they realize like, oh, he must be after the Lynn. Let's go. So the hunt is on there. They're trying to get to the Lynn. Basically, the soul hunter has the Lynn um, restrained on a bed. He has a machine, but he also is draining her blood. And he's talking very creepy about the blood leaving her body and her heart slowing and her dying he went cry cry <laughs> yeah so it, it became it went from being a horror film to being kind of like a serial killer thriller type thing which makes you think like okay this guy he knows what he's doing which means he's done it before he's a serial killer mm. that's why he's so creepy he's a serial soul preserver get it serial soul <laughs> snatcher and the, the soul hunter Tells Dylan that the members of the Grey Council, um, their 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 souls are very valuable because they are the Grey Council is part of the ruling body on Minbar. Um, now nobody else is really supposed to know this, but 
or not that nobody else is supposed to know this. Nobody's supposed to know that Delin is part of the Great Council. Um, and he has these little glowing orbs that he puts in the machine. And as he's, as the machine is going, you can see part of Delin is going into the machine. And he, I get the impression that not only is he preserving her soul, but he can also read her soul and read her mind because something, something he sees in her, he goes, wow, who would propose a thing? How dare you propose a thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now we got more questions about the It's like, what in the world is she up to? Like, granted, she's the one that's in trouble right now, but, uh, there's something like, like you all said, there's something that's not, there's something that's off about her. So, uh, but you know, we, we see that the soul collecting process is slow. So while that's happening, Sinclair uh, enters the room and a shootout ensues. There's a fist fight. This is, you know, I, w- I want to kind of get you all's impression because the, the fight scenes in Star Trek, I would say, uh, and I, I would say the TNG era of Star Trek, the fight scenes in Star Trek are some of the worst parts of Star Trek. Double axe handles, bad karate. I'm sorry. What What do y'all think of the fight scenes in Babylon 5? Are these passable or do these ba- basically look like theater fights? Theater fights. Definitely choreographed. They, I remember, uh, let me not go on that. Yeah, fights <laughs> in a way that it's for the camera. Like, I have yeah. this way because the camera right. here and it needs to catch it not i'm hitting you right and the camera just happens <laughs> to be there yeah. and so you know we get the what turns the action scene around um so the soul orbs are floating around the the soul hunter and sinclair he rushes to the machine and turns it on the soul hunter this is another this is another 90s pro- trope it's like we're gonna turn the machine on the bad guy and so his soul is being ripped from his body. <laughs> I'm sorry. His soul is being ripped from his body. As he dramatically falls to the floor. But dramatically, in a, I would say in a good way, that worked. It, it, it was still like, uh, it was still theatrical. But yeah. And he uh, unhooks Delin. So he saved Delin's life and the soul hunter, the first soul hunter, he's he's gone. He's dead. His soul is in, the, in, a, in an orb. Um, now we cut to the scene where... Hold on, hold on. I wanted to ask a question about the machine. Now, earlier, Mel said, like, yeah, you know, everyone takes for granted that there's a soul. But I think we also take for granted that they have a machine to take your soul out of your body, whether you want to or not. Okay, I'm going to raise this question. Maybe I missed something. (laughs) Okay. This is kind of nitpicky, (laughs) but I was watching this and thinking, when did he have time to build all of this? Or did this take place in his ship and I missed it? Yeah. If it took place in you know, his ship, it makes sense. But if it didn't, I'm thinking, dude, how did you build all that now? But like, that's why he was talking to the insect and getting a guide and stuff. So while, oh like, yeah, all the he wanted all the secret wanted, passageways so in and out. Dragged all that stuff on, and then they also mentioned that they had found um, another compartment that they didn't see before that was empty. They're like, he must have came back and got stuff, got it, what it was in there. So when he got that stuff, he had already found a little hiding hole 
to still put all that stuff where he was going to plan to kill the Lynn. Okay. Yep. That that he makes sense because so I was I was I was asking I was thinking where did yeah. he find the time to put all this stuff together? That makes sense. No, yeah. As, as far as the time, go ahead, Nita. Oh, I just said he's a hardworking man. Yeah. As far as the time, who knows? You know, that's that's the TV passage of time because you know. You're right, Five seconds of screen time could be three hours. That's so, true. You know. But um, so Dr. Franklin is speaking with Sinclair and they're talking about how, yeah, the Lynn lost a lot of blood, but the Mimbari are very resilient. You know, maybe that's why they did so well during the war because they just kept going and kept going. I was, that made me think like, because you saw in that jar. Like most of her blood was outside of her body. I'm sorry, that blood looked like I saw y'all. I was like, I thought it looked like cool. Yeah, I know y'all had a limited budget. So, okay. oh, you know the Mimbari always that you know their their stuff is crystal. So like maybe their blood is also crystal and all that stuff. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, aliens supposed to color blood because aliens are supposed to have different color blood because apparently they don't oxidize. They don't bring oxid or maybe it oxidizes differently. Now that I think about it, yeah. like, shouldn't their blood be, like, similar to ours or a certain hue if, if they're carbon-based and bring oxygen? Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good point. Very flimsy that is a good point. At this point, I'm like, I ain't even crack open it. Middle school history book. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things that we'll just, we'll just take it, you know. And we're going to see a lot of that, to be fair, because, again, this was the 90s, and then this was... Uh, and then this was the first season of the show, and they were really getting their bearings. So you all are going to yeah. see a lot of stuff production-wise that make you go, eh. Well, I mean, like, right. that was just, like, even just choosing the color. Like, it could have been red. Cooler. Yeah, <laughs> now, I do admit that. They could have done a little better on that, because I kept thinking, that's her blood. That looks like iced tea. Well, like, in the 40s, the science fiction that was being written that wasn't Pulp Fiction was solely and more based on science the story was driven on driven by science so it's not like because it was the 90s that they didn't have people who knew how to write a story around science they've been doing it for a long time first science fiction book that came out was in the 1400s mm-hmm. their science is just as fast sound as the one that came out in the 1400s they might as well throw in some glass people too oh um sinclair tells tells the soul hunter like get out of here you know the second one he was like hey people don't like you here so we don't want uh, your kind here. You know, we don't like your kind around these parts. And so, and he's like, yep, we're not welcome very many places. It, it's our stock. And he's like, so we're we're gone. Um, and uh, before he leaves, he goes, hey, by the way, let me ask you this question. What happened to his collection? Saying, you know, the uh, the first Soul, Hunter, so first Soul Hunter's collection. And Sinclair, he's being very coy. He goes, it's safe. And then he's like, okay, fair enough. And he leaves, which I don't know if I would feel the same if, but at the same time, if he's like murdering people, it's like, yeah, whatever they want to do with it is fine. And lo and behold, there's Delin in her quarters with all the spheres, all the souls, and she is releasing them. Now, knowing the discussions and the conversations that were had during this episode, how do y'all feel about Delin releasing soul into the universe? Those some of them souls were evil and they should have been preserved and, and I don't know. Well, according to her, like they their numbers are dwindling because the souls aren't coming back. Like 
they're not being reincarnated. But, but here's the thing, though. How does she know if the souls were meant to or not? And then also, she doesn't feel like the souls should be captured. They need to be free and go to where they're supposed to go. Like, obviously, it wasn't natural for them to take the souls because they had to create a device to do it. And when I first, when they first said that he was a soul collector, I thought like he was going to stand over somebody and suck up the soul like it was a biological thing. No, mm-hmm. you had to and get the, the machine <laughs> off your ship to do it. Definitely was <laughs> surprised by the machine. Huh. Oh, I said I definitely was surprised by the machine. Back in the beginning when the, the scammer died, I thought in that moment, the soul snatcher got the scammer's soul but then i'm like oh that's not what happened so yeah because it was established in earlier in the episode because that's a good point nita but they do say that they only take souls that they deem worthy of important souls right that probably helped two points to show the importance of the soul because he was from the the horror section and then also at the same time showing that there's a poor section of Babylon 5 where people just don't have. And that the soul hunters too, they are, you might as well say they're classist because he talks about yep. the type of souls <laughs> that they deem worthy. Oh, artists and political leaders and blah, blah, blah. But now this, this human that is down below, he's not worthy because he's poor. That's essentially what that's conveying. Yeah. And I find mm-hmm. that interesting. Yeah. And I also kind of, that's where I get where, like, if they had to create a device in order to collect the souls, and you got these sneaky people over here that are the souls that are the most important, if you, if they've been doing this for a thousand years, how much did they twist what the reason for collecting the souls was? Like, how long they've been doing this? That so many different species know about it except for the humans obviously also am i remembering this detail right are aren't the soul hunters also immortal they allude to that but i don't know if that was confirmed in the episode or not the yeah. lady said that in the beginning oh, she was about to kill homeboy or something that's true so that's confusing too because she said immortal but then she said kill it but you can't kill an immortal things. And then later she said, release it. And then people are, I don't know. It um, would have been more guess... clear if she had said he's there long lived. Meaning uh-huh. they have long lifespans, but they can't be killed. But you're right, Nita. She did say, oh, they're immortal. And I'm like, but he was injured though. Yeah. And I, I think what they mean immortal here, and, and you see this a lot of, uh, a lot of this term being flexible, in sci-fi and fan long lived in that as long as no one stabs them to death they they wouldn't die you know they would they would just live throughout time but uh for these type of characters or this type of immortal with a sufficient enough damage they can die so there's that's one way to look at it but i think it also helps look help helps us understand like the mythology that the minbari created around the soul hunters right as well oh oh uh, the last little bit was sinclair finally you know he gets back to his quarters and he he looks up a translation of what satai means and he finds out that the satai 
is a member of the Gray Council, which is the ruling body. And he's like, so he called her, he called the lens to tie the lens. That's interesting. And yet, and you know, it alludes to this question, what does a member of the ruling body of Minbari, what, what business does she have on Babylon 5? And so more secrets are being revealed about Delin, which again, so cool how they start to drop those breadcrumbs and get you prepared to not just simply trust these characters and take, take them at face value, but you want to, you want to learn more. Like what are her secrets? What is she hiding? Right. Who are you really? (laughs) Great way to build entry because these are, it's not a spoiler to say these are significant plot points that they've revealed in the second episode of this show. And I think that's remarkable. Um, that's what she said yeah. in another episode she's there to observe but you, you can't trust what these people say all the time oh so she's not there to observe I didn't say that now but you did not <laughs> say it either so did not 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 say it though y'all we know she's right obviously that's what she wants people to know Mm-hmm. Also, I wanted to point out a couple of things. So this was the Delin heavy episode, but notice who was not present. The other two that fight. The one with the right. hair. No, J- Jakar oh, and Lando, yeah. Yep. Because first off, they would have just overpowered the episode. Yeah. Right. That would have been too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> However, I would be interested in what the Centauri think of the Soul Hunters. Because they probably have a cynical perspective of them as well you know i don't know though they are kind of superstitious they yeah yeah, they're superstitious and they're narcissistic so they probably said soul hunter i'm gone because they coming for me that's a good point that's why we didn't see them because they were part of the ships that left there's like oh time to go yep bye that part yeah so so that was episode two soul hunter any last thoughts before we get out of here so this so is this acting, is that like the style of the time or is that just how Babylon 5 is? I'm sorry, what was the question, Nate? The acting, like, <clears throat> you must do it now. Is that like the let, time? Let me say or... this. No, it's not of the times. What it is is that this was greenlit. And so these new characters, they're trying to find the character. And so you're going to yeah. see that. Like with Ivanova, she's going to change over time. All of them will. So the mm. first season is real rocky, though. But, you know, the first season yeah. of The Next Generation was real rocky, too, for the same reason. Once it hits yeah. the second season forward and these actors are comfortable with their roles, you're going to see a significant change. But the first season is pretty, you know, it's their shakedown cruise. It's- it's, it's yeah, rough. they're still trying to find their, their tr- each of the actors are trying to find the voice of the characters. Right. And 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 let me like just just to be upfront about it, Delin, she does find her voice is not terribly different from this episode, but she becomes more smooth. Oh yes. Um just more relaxed into the role. But a lot of that also has to deal with the character, the way that the character changes throughout the series too. Uh, Franklin, Dr. Franklin is that character the entire show. He just came in swinging. Yeah. So, yeah. I will say this. Uh, now, this is my opinion. And I don't, Damien, uh-huh. I would like to know what you think. But by the end 
hopefully, you know, when we get to the end of the series, I don't know if you all will feel the same. I know that for me, I think that it's criminal that many of these actors would not be nominated for acting awards. Oh, yeah. And it's purely because of the prejudice that the academies have against speculative genres. Because I'm going to tell you now, Mira Furlan is who plays Delenn, just wait. And she can hold her own with Andreas Katsoulis, who portrays Jakar and Lando Malari. Yeah. It's unfortunate that Michael O'Hare doesn't continue into the second season, but we'll probably discuss that as the first season goes on. But all of those core actors, when they find Mm -hmm. their voice after this first season and this show takes off and all of these breadcrumbs pay off, it is, it's a reason why this show remains popular. Yeah. A point I would like to make is each character, each of these main characters has its moment in the series. Yes. Some of them have a, some of them have a couple, but these, these characters uh, and these actors, these actors are strong enough to carry these scenes by themselves throughout the series and and they do very well and and it is it is criminal that they were not recognized for that um the they they all come from several different acting backgrounds some of them are theater some are tv uh, what mira ferlin i believe is from yugoslavia she immigrated from there and they said that there she is considered or was considered because we lost her last year but I remember reading yeah. somewhere where they consider her their Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Wow. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, she was yeah. like TV, like she was huge before she came to the U.S. Right. She yes. moved over here because of a conflict. Yeah. Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But at that time it did. But yeah, I realized. At the time it did. Yeah. But yeah, there was, yeah. Yeah, we'll, 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 we can talk a little bit more about the conflict conflicts plural well, when we get a chance but yeah um but yeah you you got people who have like uh i'm sorry dr franklin is it michael michael biggs richard biggs richard biggs he he like i said he was he was a uh, daytime hope actor and uh oh uh claudia christensen claudia christian she she was in movies mm-hmm. so you got people with various acting backgrounds and they mix well together in this, in this series to make this cast and, um, and they just get better and better and better. So, you know, season one, they're, they're really fun, trying to find their rhythm. And, and this is also common with the star Trek. And I'll only bring that up because these were outs at the same time. Mm-hmm. Each of the star Treks, the next generation in deep space nine, I have to point this out. I have to get this on audio they each have moments where key characters have cringy acting moments and it's funny because people just take it like oh yeah you know the star trek this happens but um to me it's usually around the black character because the writers don't know how to write black characters and it and it just comes off as being cringe and it gets worse like those moments don't age well at all um, and it's usually them trying to show black characters being excited. Um, I think J. Michael Straczynski completely avoids that problem in this series. And I think he, like, for black characters that he does take time 
to kind of elaborate on, he offers he he allows those characters to be authentic. So the the actor comes through, not the words on his page. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I'm trying to think. Is is there Rod? Would you say there's a scene? Are there any cringy scenes? Oh, there is one cringy scene, but it's cringe on purpose. But I don't think it's in the first season. It's hard for me to recall, but I, there are cringy scenes, period, in Babylon 5. Just as a, <laughs> But to be fair, though, it's yeah. not just Star Trek and Babylon 5 and science fiction. This is in any type of televised TV drama. You're going to have off episodes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But the first season, yeah. though, is pretty rocky. Because I remember, I'll be honest, when I, when it first came out and I was watching it, I almost stopped watching it. Because it was really <laughs> rocky. Not because of the, at the time, there was this big hubbub about, oh, they're ripping off DS9, which isn't true. They came out before DS9. And they are completely different. But yeah, I, th- I forget what the episode was that really turned it around for me in the first season. And I, I'm so glad I stayed with it. And then when the second season kicked off, it's like a rocket ship. It just goes. Oh, um, yeah. Cause, cause the foundation is laid, it's been laid, and by then it's it's ready to go. It's they're they're ready to just set sail in the direction of this epic space opera. This, yeah. I remember my uh, being really into it, like the first second episode, just because of like the religious and um, political theme. And I also remember seeing that scene of the land having her blood drained when I was eight years old, thinking, what in the world? Like, is the blood her soul? Like, I was eight. Yeah. That's all I was thinking. So while this episode dealt with, you know, questions about, I'm, I'm not so sure if it was religion per se, but around religion. The next episode, episode three, Born to Purple. Ooh. We're going to be doing a very 1990s style dressing of, let's say, the 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 news topic topics at that time so definitely politics i'm gonna say that yes. dress of purple sounds racist yeah and why i gotta be purple what are you trying to Wait, say now you you'll see well thank you all for joining us for this edition of voices in hyperspace 